0: Well, hello there. This is Edmund Shing, Global CIO of BNP Paribas Wealth Management, with another edition of our BNP Paribas Wealth Management Voice of Wealth podcast. Hello, Charlotte de Carpoisson. Hello, Ed. Who is my co-host, and what today, Charlotte, are we indeed talking about?
1: So, in today's podcast, we are going to address the future of home entertainment. Your investment strategy team likes structural trends in consumption, such as the growth of spending on home entertainment. Can you please explain why?
0: Well, what we observed during these lockdowns, Charlotte, in the last year or so is, uh, of course, a boom in online retail. We saw several years growth built into this last year. We've seen something very similar with the trend towards home entertainment, thinking about audio video streaming and also video games. So that is a structural growth trend in consumption that we have been very focused on in the recent past and continue to like for the future.
1: Pandemic-induced lockdowns clearly forced people to spend more time at home than ever before and when we were not working we needed to occupy ourselves. We were glued to our screens desperate to fill up our time and online shopping took over. We observe the the rent-not-buy business model continues to gain pace as part of the wider sharing economy. Can you tell us how home entertainment is benefiting?
0: In the old days, when we were listening to music, we would have bought a CD and then played the CD. Same with the video, we would have bought a DVD and then play the DVD. Today, the sharing economy means we no longer need to do that. People are getting rid of their CDs and DVDs and instead taking a subscription to an audio streaming service like Spotify or a video streaming service like Netflix or Amazon Prime, where you have access to either a lot of music, podcasts, or indeed lot of films and television series. So the point is, You never need to buy any media anymore. And that's the the sharing economy in the home entertainment sphere in a nutshell.
1: Okay, so all these companies are collecting huge numbers of subscriptions. In 2016, Netflix had over 89 million subscribers. In 2019, the number had soared to over 167 million. And today that figure is over 207 million. But it takes a lot of time to produce films and videos. Are companies like Netflix and Amazon Prime producing content faster than people are consuming it and watching it? And secondly, the sheer cost of producing content is high, isn't it, Ed?
0: Yes. In terms of the first, I don't think they're producing it faster than people can consume because people seem to have a voracious appetite for television series. In fact, that's even supplanted films today as the number one form of home entertainment. And in fact, Netflix and Amazon Prime and other video streaming services have been encouraging that because it encourages people to stay loyal for longer. The film is a one-off event typically, unless you've got a franchise like The Fast and the Furious. But generally it's more of a one-off event. Whereas a TV series, you have a number of episodes, and even then, if it's successful, you then commission another series and they have several seasons of the same show the same show can run for years and years and years and command a very loyal audience and that's what the video streaming companies are after because they want subscriptions to be maintained for years because that gives them the steady cash flow that they're looking for and in fact it's the steady cash flow in these business models that investors particularly love because this is revenues that tend to be very sticky over time and generally very profitable over time. However, you're right. In the case of Netflix, Amazon and others, they have been spending increasing amounts on the production of their own content. They want exclusive content, whether that be through sporting rights or whether that be commissioning original drama series, which are generally very expensive to put on. And we're at a point now where with something like, I don't know, Game of Thrones, the budget per hour is even greater than it would be for a, feature, a typical feature film. So TV series really are the premier video streaming stalwart in terms of product, even more than films today.
1: Let's talk about video streaming now. I remember about four or five years ago, I decided to follow a series produced by a mainstream Spanish TV company. Each episode was about an hour long, and there were more than 500 episodes, all absolutely free for me, the viewer. Today, the site giving free access is blocked. So the first point, companies make you pay for quality content. And secondly, video streaming has become a lot more competitive, hasn't it, Ted?
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, although clearly Netflix is the global leader today with over 200 million subscribers worldwide, there is a lot more competition today from, for instance, Disney+. Disney+, is a video streaming service that has only been introduced relatively recently, but has already accumulated over 100 million paying subscribers globally in a few months. So they've come from nowhere to be second. Then you have, of course, Amazon Prime. And that's an interesting business model because that packages, of course, their video streaming service together with their one day delivery service. So it's it's almost like an added extra. You pay for the one day super fast delivery to your home and you get the video streaming on top, all for a very low price. And now, of course, you have others such as Discovery Plus, HBO Plus, and others. So you have a lot of competing video streaming platforms. Yes, Netflix may be the premier one, but it's no longer the only one. As people move forwards, they will maybe initially take several streaming services and pay several subscriptions to start with. But my feeling is, over time, they'll be weeding these out and narrowing them down to really only the subscription services they really want to keep for the long term.
1: Apart from films, sporting events, and so on, what other areas could adopt? The subscription model, do you think?
0: Now, aside from video and audio, you can think now of video games. Again, video games up to now have been bought in a similar way to CDs and DVDs in the old days. You, you know, every time a new game was launched, you would buy that game. That I think is now changing. Netflix, for instance, are looking to add a video gaming service alongside their video service. So not only when you get a Netflix subscription, will you have access to the films and TV series, but you will also have access increasingly to games. Indeed, the way that video games are now produced is changing. Instead of having a more sort of film based, hit based, one off business model, you know, you'd, ha- you'd spend an enormous amount developing a video game and then you'd, you'd launch it, see if it worked. And if it worked, it would generate a lot of money. But then, of course, that would tail off until you launch the next big blockbuster game. Today, we're talking about franchise games, which are a bit more like TV series, where video gaming companies will launch the initial game, but when it's proven to be successful, will launch updates, extensions, add-ons, for which you don't necessarily pay the same overall fee. You may pay smaller amounts, but you pay smaller amounts on a more regular basis to have these extensions or add-ons and so on. And that smooths the revenue stream for video game companies until the next blockbuster release. And the inevitable extension of that is, of course, then a video game subscription service, such as those launched by companies such as Sony, and now Steam as well. So I think that is the next ripe area to turn into a subscription service because games are expensive. And people, you know, once you've done the game, you've done the game. You want to move on to the next game, a bit like a TV series or a film. So I don't see why this should not work in exactly the same way for video games.
1: One issue with content is the large amount of choice. In fact, this is an issue we suffer within consumption in general. There's just too much choice, whether you're in a supermarket, a shoe shop, a bookshop or elsewhere. Our time is precious and we don't want to waste time choosing, And we don't want to watch a boring film or listen to an uninteresting podcast. People clearly need guidance. Wouldn't you agree, Ed?
0: Absolutely. In terms of shopping, that's one reason why I do like discount retailers like little. You don't have 16 varieties of the same product to choose between. They literally have two or three. And that reduction in choice is actually a good thing because it means you make a quicker choice. And frankly, even if you have 16 versions of the same product, how different can they really be? And I think this is exactly the same problem we have when we look at video or audio As you said, it's a problem of how do we choose what to, for instance, read next or listen to next or watch next. That's a very difficult issue. And I think that's why the sophisticated selection algorithms that companies like Netflix and Amazon employ to say, well, you've watched this, you like this type of content. Maybe if you like this, you'll like this other content that we can propose to you, which is similar in nature. Again, they can sort of give you other suggestions in the same genre. And I think uh, that's certainly one help. Although a second way, I think, a second interesting avenue is, of course, looking at the playlists of your friends and of other people you follow. And this is something, for instance, that Spotify majors on heavily. What they do is they allow users to share playlists. So I can say, well, I like the sort of music that my friend Tom listens to and I can ask Tom to send me his playlist And then I can then have this curated playlist, which he's already worked hard to build. And I can benefit from that to listen to that sort of music, which I also like. So I think that's where we're going. And what that is, is it's a valuable addition to the subscription platform. So not only are you subscribing to the actual content, but then these curated playlists become part of that exclusive content that uh, provides, in a sense, a network effect that makes you more loyal to those subscription platforms. Because once you build that up, you don't want to give away these curated playlists, which you would lose if you stopped paying the subscription.
1: Today, economies have reopened, vaccines are starting to pay off and people are returning to the office, going out, taking a summer holiday, spending more time outdoors and so on. And the long evenings stuck at home on the sofa seem behind us. As we return to normality, how do you see the future of in-home entertainment
0: this lockdown scenario that we've been through in the last 12 months has been very unusual. It is quite typical that we should renormalize to to an extent our previous habits, as in going out and looking for entertainment outside. Now, that all being said, I do think that there is this structural trend in home entertainment, which will persist, particularly for video games, but also for video and audio streaming. I think this accent on the sharing economy is only set to increase. And I think as well, that from an investment point of view, these subscription models are, in fact, more valuable and more interesting because of the relative steadiness and lack of volatility of the revenue stream compared to, let's say, video the classic video game revenue stream, which is very lumpy because it depends very much on game launches and whether these games turn into blockbuster hits or not. That will persist, but I do think people will become more selective and maybe what we will see is some weeding out of these subscriptions, because people will suddenly realise that I'm spending an awful lot of subscriptions. Maybe I haven't got time or I don't need all of these subscriptions, and they may become more choosy in future, which is then interesting, an interesting challenge for these streaming platforms. So far, they've enjoyed unbridled growth, but maybe that growth will become more difficult to maintain in future as people become more selective and become more choosy.
1: How could investors gain exposure to home entertainment?
0: Well, there are several ways, Charlotte. Obviously, that they tend to be based on equities, that are stocks. You can either buy single stocks. You could buy a basket of single stocks and the obvious names would come to mind. The video streaming names that we've discussed, the audio streaming names, these are all listed. And of course, video game companies. There are a number of video game companies listed throughout the world. So you could buy the individual stocks. You can also buy funds or ETFs based either narrowly on video games. For instance, there is a video game ETF that exists. Or more broadly on home entertainment, there are more broad home entertainment funds and ETFs that exist as well. Or of course, these all form quite a big subsector of technology. So you might even want to buy into a broader technology fund or ETF, which will include elements of home entertainment of this audio streaming, video streaming, video games. And of course, the necessary infrastructure and hardware to support this from a technology point of view, to support all of this internet traffic.
1: To subscribe to our weekly podcast, search for BNP Paribas Wealth on the podcast platform of your choice, such as Apple Podcast, Podcast Addict, Spotify, or other podcast providers. And to see all of our research, Google BNP Paribas Wealth. <laughs>